0: Hey, What's up, team? This is your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome back to the All In Podcast. First of all, thank you so much for tuning in and being here. If you haven't hit subscribe, definitely make sure to do that so you don't miss any episode drops. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are going to definitely bring another really special episode um, uh, focusing on the topic of mental health um, next week, and that'll be featuring a lot of different guests that we've had in the past and focusing on that subject if you took the time to listen to my story last week, thank you so much. I really, sincerely appreciate it. And um, without further ado, let's let's get into today's guest. So today we have on the podcast Danielle Kettlewell, A.K.A. the Unlikely Olympian. Now, funny enough, Danielle came up on my TikTok for You page uh, when she was talking about how she went from she she said in her video just an average girl uh, two in three years making the Olympics. And so I was really captivated by this story. And then she used the word all in, like, what would happen if you went all in? And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to reach out to her. And so that's basically how we got connected and how she came onto this podcast. In this episode, she talks about her journey to the Olympics, uh, right about that story of being an unlikely Olympian. Uh, she also talks about the extreme training regiments of synchronized swimming athletes. I am so impressed by these athletes, and I think you will too. Uh, If you're listening, you probably don't know that much about synchronized swimming, or maybe I'm just putting that judgment on you because I know I didn't know that much about synchronized swimming before I talked with Danielle. And so it was really cool to learn about all these things uh, from her that she shared, and I think you'll have a newfound respect for the sport, especially if you're gonna watch it in the upcoming 2021 Tokyo games. Uh, we also talk about manifesting your goals, and we try to break down that subject in a less woo-woo way than you might think. So lots of cool things talked about on this episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. And so without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation to learn something new or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Hey, and welcome back to the All In Podcast. I'm here with Danielle Kettlewell, who is a 2016 Olympian in synchronized swimming. Danielle, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I'm so excited. I love talking about all this stuff.
0: Yeah, and I'm so excited to dive into your story because I think I first heard of you when I was scrolling my TikTok for you page and I saw a video where you talked about going from an average girl to an Olympian in three years and you used the term all in which of course I love. So I would love for you to walk through that journey essentially.
1: Totally, yeah. I didn't even know that I used the word all in. It's all all synchronicity is meant to be. So um so I have a, I call myself, or at least my book is called the unlikely Olympian, um, which is very much a representation of my journey. So my whole life, I did my sport of synchronized swimming, um, in Vancouver, Canada, where, um, I am currently. Um, and I was that girl that like, I did the sport, but like, I was not good at it at all. Like I just, I, I was the one who was like a great participator, like cheered everyone on, but was like the least talented to say the best. <laughs> but, and I, but I had a great attitude and a great work ethic. And I, and I knew that. And I remember saying to myself, you know, when I was an athlete, I was like, Oh, well, I'm never going to make my anything of myself. Like maybe I could be a coach someday. Like how cool would that be? I could help people. But I, I like, I just totally counted myself out for anything. Um, you know, not even the Olympics. That wasn't even on my radar. And throughout my um, high school years, I I did synchronized swimming, which just, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of hours. So even in high school, like I was training 20 hours a week um, on top of, you know, regular school. So that was about five or six days a week at that time. Um, And when I got to year 12, that was kind of the end of the line is basically you try out for the national team or it's kind of over. Um, And I was not even anywhere close to, you know, getting on the Canadian national team at the time. And I was like, you know, what? I had made it to, um, uh, nationals in Canada, which I was, you know, keep in mind, I was like the reserve on the team, like still not the best. Um, and I was proud of myself. I was like, this is the best it's ever going to get to me. So I decided to walk away and, you know, I, um, I thought I'd, you know, you know, do the regular thing, go to university. I'd got into coaching synchronized swimming. And I did funny enough, I did master's level synchronized swimming, um, which is like, you know, quote unquote for old people, but I was like <laughs> 18 at the time, but just as a way for me to, um, just do like for fun. Cause I think, you know, any athletes that have retired, you know, sport will always be a part of your life and it's nice to do it on a less competitive scale. Um, so that was just training a few hours a week. And, you know, I, um, was going to UBC, um, here in Vancouver, I was working a couple jobs. I was swimming and funny enough in 2012, I actually went to world masters championships, which was in Italy, um, which is like, anyone can go, you just have to, you know, put your name in and pay to go there. So it's, it's not anything elite. It's just more for fun and social, um, uh, stuff. But like literally four years later, I was competing at the Olympic games. And that's, what's so crazy because, you know, if you would have told me in 2012 that the next, you know, Olympic round, I would be there. Like I would have laughed in your face because there was like, that's, there's no way that is possible for me. So what ended up happening is in 2013, I was um, doing masters training one day in the evening. After a long day at uni and we were doing something called highlights In highlights, we actually it's basically like building a human pyramid underneath the water and we all oh like move up to the surface and then we create a spring, basically a human spring and someone jumps off the top, does a flip and lands back in the water all without touching the bottom, which is just incredible. Right. Um, and my teammate went up that she went up and she came down and she landed straight on my head. Uh, and, you know, we can imagine like we see NFL, they are all this padding, like all we have is a bathing cap. Like there's no padding, a full person like landing on your head. I, At first, I felt a little bit like nauseous and not the best. And I ended up being diagnosed with a concussion. And I actually had to totally drop out of that semester of university because it was really bad. And I was wow. basically, you know, like anyone that's had a concussion, basically the only thing I tell you to do is just lay in a dark room and don't do anything, which is very depressing. And, you know, a side effect of having a concussion is depression, but like, I wouldn't blame anyone because anyone doing that is really challenging. And it was kind of one of those moments in my life. And I feel like we all have these where it's just like, why is this happening to me? Like, what the hell is going on universe? Like, what did I do to deserve this? So it was very much in this poor me attitude. Um, But little did I know, like my life was about to like, really face this fork in the road. And, and when I was about a month and a bit into my concussion, Uh, and the day after my birthday, I was actually talking on the phone to a friend of mine. Um, and the crazy thing is we used to be teammates. We all both did synchronized swimming for fun. And we both had Australian Canadian dual citizenship because my parents are Aussie and they, um, immigrated to to Canada. And she actually was reached out to by the assistant national team coach of the Australian synchronized swimming team. Most of the team had retired after the 2012 Olympics, and they were looking for more people to try out for the team. And she knew of, um, this girl and, and she had dual citizenship and it was one of those moments where like as a friend, and I think we all have these moments, like I was like major hype girl. I was like, Oh my God, you got to do it. You got to go for it. Like I believe in you. Cause like how, how easy it is to believe in our friends, but sometimes not in ourselves Right. Um, and I was like, so excited for her. And then she kind of looked at me after a few minutes, she's like, Oh my gosh, Danielle, you could do this too. She's like, you got all the same things as me. And I like, again, I laughed and I was like, there's no way. Right. Not only do I have a concussion and I'm in Canada, but I also was never really that talented um, at my sport. And like, there's just like the list of things against me was a mile high. And I, I took, you know, it took some time to think about it. And I realized it was like one of those points in, in my life where I was like, I feel like I got this golden opportunity on a platter and I could go and take this leap and like be, you know, at this 1% chance, less than 1% of making it on the team, even though it's so crazy. And everyone is going to think that I'm like, balls to the wall is just insane for going after this, or I could live the rest of my life wondering. Right. And even though it was so crazy, I decided, I was like, I don't want to live with any regrets. I would rather try and fail than always wonder what if, and I, you know, the thing that I had on my side is I have a great attitude and I have a great work ethic. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use this to the absolute max and figure out how I can make this part of me shine to get myself there. Um, so I kicked my concussion recovery into high gear within like eight weeks. I was on a plane to Perth, Australia, trying out, um, for the first round of, of the national team trials. And the first round again, I sucked, but I was like one of 16 girls that just, there's less people in this, in the country that do synchronized swimming. And I, even though I was at the bottom of 16, I was like, I have like a one in 16 chance of possibly making this. Um, and I ended up going all, in. (laughs) I packed up my bags. I officially dropped out of university. I took out a student line of credit. I moved across the world. Perth is probably, it's about a 24 hour flight to get there. It's very far away. Didn't know anyone there. And I said, I'm going to give it everything inside of me because I'd rather do that than always wonder. And that's just a little portion of the story that eventually led me to the Olympic games in 2016.
0: That, that is so cool. So <laughs> during that trio process, how did you improve to the level? Like you said, you were kind of at the bottom and then all of a sudden you ended up making it onto the team.
1: Yeah. So great question. So I think part of it was very much so being in the environment, right? Like when you're around, um, you know, people that like, it's a competition of being with your other teammates, like helps you get there. So I, you know, I always talk about like, we're wanting to improve, like surround ourselves with the five people that we want to be like, right. So, um, very much I was in the environment of being with these other teammates and I had this like fire lit inside of me that I was like, I'm going to give it everything. And one of the things that I, I did obviously was work hard, but there's the thing in sport. And and I'm sure you would understand there's at a certain point as an athlete, as a human being, you could only work so hard, right? Because you do need to rest and recover. So I was like, what can I do differently than everyone else? I can work on my mind. I can work on this mental capacity to be able to be better because I don't know what the other girls are doing. I don't know what the other teams are doing, but I know that I can work on my own mindset, my own belief systems. Um, so I honestly believe that is, it was a huge, um, way that allowed me to excel. And I ended up going from the bottom of the team to, you know, by the time I tried out for the Olympic team, I came fourth, which was like incredible. And like, I truly believe, like I had lots of things against me, not naturally made to be a synchronized swimmer. Um, you know, my body type isn't the right body type. I'm not naturally flexible. Um, but I, worked on my self-belief. I worked on my confidence. I worked on like the things that I did well compared to everyone else and how I can make that shine. Um, and I like had a great attitude and I worked on my mind and I honestly believe that that set me apart. Um, You know, I will always say I was never the greatest synchronized swimmer. Like, and that's okay. You know, I don't need that for my ego. But I was one that worked really hard. I had a great attitude. I showed up every day ready to give it my all. And that's what set me apart. And I think that so many of like the greatest athletes out there as well, sometimes they're not the most talented, right? But they're the ones that have the incredible um, attitudes, the incredible work ethics to constantly improve like mentally and physically. Like I even think of like Tom Brady. Like I've heard him talk about like him just always like he wasn't the most talented, but he was always ready and willing to improve. And um, I think that that's sometimes a misconception that athletes have. Yeah, some people are naturally talented. and That's amazing. But it's like the mental work that sets us apart.
0: I absolutely love that. And I think, you know, I think there's a misconception that I had as well. Like I was three years old and I told my parents, I'm, like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And so my life became Sport And I thought, you know, like genetically everything like this is what I have to do. And uh, now interviewing a lot of other athletes, I've noticed, I'm starting to see a trend where a lot of athletes definitely they they have that background. But recently I had a, a Finnish volleyball player on and she shared a similar story to yours where She was playing volleyball. She never thought she could make it to this level. And all of a sudden she ended up on the Finnish national team. And it was basically because someone just said like, oh, I think you could do it. And she never believed it until all of a sudden she surrounded herself with that next level and then saw it was possible. How important was it for you to surround yourself with these people and be able to see it so then you could believe it?
1: Uh, completely like and I even talk about that like I've um in what I do now like I do more you know mindset um you know going after our dreams as opposed to directly in sport but everything that I learned in sport has given me this platform to dive into this other different avenue but it's so similar it's like like I said the five people you surround yourself with is the five people that you become like and when you're in surrounded by people that are challenging you in a great sense like obviously team sports are great like that because you're naturally going to be around those people but they're they're challenging you to improve, they're challenging you to grow. And I think a really big thing is as well, and this can sometimes be this interesting balance in, in being an athlete is really not letting your ego get too heavily involved in what you're doing, um, even in competing against your own teammates, because you're using it as this balance, you know, to help yourself improve, but also still being humble in what you need to do better. And that's something that like, what I talk, when I talk to athletes, um, younger athletes specifically now, one of the things that really helps me when I was going um, and trying out for the uh, Olympic team trials specifically is... Again, I was at this this crossroads as I was like, I can't train any harder. Like there's only so many hours in a day. And synchronized swimmers probably train some of the longest at any sports. We do about six hours a day in the water, six days a week, um, two to three hours on land. So we're training like 50, 60 hour weeks. It's ridiculous, wow. right? You can't train anymore. <laughs> um, but I realized I was like, I, you know, I need to work smarter. And what I did and I suggest is to any athletes, you can do this in at, like in the world of sports, but also in the world of life. It's like, what am I really good at? How can I make that shine? inside of me and set myself apart. Even if it's, I have a good attitude, even if it's, I just have a good work ethic. I'm just going to make sure that I turn the dial up on that. So people see that that's what sets me apart. And what do I need to improve on? And having this balance of like every single day going to training with an intention, my intention is to improve this thing, to improve this, like every single day when I was leading up to, um, Olympic team trials and beyond, I would journal, I would write down, okay, these are my three intentions to improve the end of the day. Okay. How did I did, how can I do better? Um, what am I going to do tomorrow? It's like this constant self-reflection and taking that back on, you know, away from your coach and taking on the self-responsibility to be like, okay, Um, How can I improve? How can I do better? And then using the example of something that really helped me, the people that have walked the path before me, whether this be other synchronized swimmers, athletes, Olympians, um, figuring out what they did. What did they do that made them successful? You know, even listening to this podcast for some people, like what did they do that set them apart? And then another side of that uh, on the other side is like, what did they not do? Or what did they do bad at that I can learn from? What did they struggle at that I want to do better? What can I do better at something than them because I've watched them by an example. So it's this like double side of like strengths and weaknesses in yourself and others. And having that like self-analyst moving forward really, really helped me tr- um, go in the right direction. And one of the things that I was told and noticed that other people, other athletes did, and, and we had a really great sports psychologist that worked with us. And he said, every athlete and this incredible sports psychologist, he'd been to 10 Olympics. He had like uh, over a hundred medals under his belt. And he said, every single athlete that has done well, when they go to training every single day, they have an intention and they write down and they figure out what they want to do better and and, um, continue to improve at. And so I was like, cool, they're doing that. The people that succeed are doing that. I'm doing that. Um, And another thing was visualization. That was a huge thing for us as well. It's like, they all visualize. Cool. I'm going to visualize. If that's what the successful people do, I'm going to copy them. Like we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. We just need to take, you know, advice and feel into what's good for us based on the people that have walked the path before us yeah, I totally went on a tangent, but hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> yes. Extremely helpful. I mean, success leaves
0: clues. And, um, some of the clues from your story that I see is you seem to have always had a growth mindset. And yeah. it's interesting because I think growth mindset is kind of a term that's been thrown around a lot over this past couple of years. It's kind of taken a new popularity due to books, sports psychology, kind of coming to the forefront and different things. But what's interesting is I think that there, there have been a lot of successful athletes who were unhappy in their success because they did have a fixed mindset. They knew they were always genetically talented or whatever it was. So then, like you said, they have intentions, but if they never meet those expectations, they were really upset versus someone with a growth mindset was like, I put the effort into working on the strengths and weaknesses. So I'm happy and I can continue the progress versus the other ones who burn out. How important was a growth mindset to your journey?
1: Like so incredibly important. That's what allowed me to be and set myself apart. Um and and as well, you know, one of the things that I think you you just gently touched on, which is so powerful is I truly love my sport. And sometimes, and this is the thing, like I was in the realm of, you know, I got to go to the Olympics, but I also have watched so many athletes that I know that haven't gone to go there. And sometimes as athletes, we can have that as the be all end all. And if we don't get our goals in our sport, whether that be um, like, you know, amount of goals that you want to score or like, a, a, you know, in synchro, we get judged and we get points. If that's a point system, or is that a competition that you don't get to, it can destroy us, right. As an athlete, because we place our worth on achieving our goals and what is so important to remember, you know, and in the work that I do now, a lot with women is like, no matter what you achieve, you are so divinely worthy. You are enough. You need to come from this base level of you are enough. As you are, you get to continue to improve. You know, this doesn't mean you get to have a big ego, but you are enough. Your goals do not define you and come back to this place is like, you need to love what you do every. Every single day, because if you stop loving it, it's not worth it. And, and, you know, there's going to be days when it's hard, especially as an athlete. Like I know there's days when you're exhausted, you're tired, you're going to training and you just don't have anything left in you. But when I was training every single day, I loved it. And at the end of the week, I was looked back. I was like, I'm so proud that I am doing this. Um, and, and that was the most important reminding, you know, I really remind athletes. It's like, yes, have a goal go after it, but detach it from your worth. Right. And the beautiful thing is, I talk a lot about manifestation as well in the work that I do now when we detach from our goals but continue to work towards it and make it have no meaning on our self-worth usually we get there anyways but if we don't it's not going to destroy you because you know that you're enough and the most important thing is doing something that you love because one of the things that I love to share is you know in in our sport at like I had a three and a four minute routine at the Olympics. I swam at the Olympics for seven minutes. You know, Usain Bolt does 10 seconds, right? Um, you know, a 50 meter swimmer will do like a minute. Like it's so short. It goes by like that. And if you gave me everything in my life, except for those seven minutes, I would still be the same person as I am here today. But if you only gave me the seven minutes that somehow defined me, that give me this title as an Olympian, I wouldn't have the experiences that I have. I wouldn't have had the lessons that I learned. I wouldn't have the people that I know. And like in I know it's cheesy and it's overused, but it's about the journey. It's not about the destination because standing up there on stage afterwards, the whole experience went by like that. And it was amazing. I would take it back and I'm so grateful. However, I be, have become who I am because of the process of getting there, but not because of the goal, right? That's an amazing thing that I have, which is the cherry on top. But my, my like who, what makes me up as a character which just given me this gross mindset and this perspective to share is remembering that it's about the everyday. It's about Enjoying the journey. It's about loving the process and it's about growing in all of it. And when we detach from those goals, you still get to have the goals, but detach that from your worth, it's a much more profound and fulfilling way to live.
0: Yes, I I absolutely love that because it's been something I've been thinking about a lot personally, even like my story. I fell short of my Olympic goal in snowboarding in 2014. Uh, and on the journey to it, there was times where I placed top 10 in the world at junior world championships and had these results that now looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was amazing. But back then I was like, this isn't good. My goal is to go to the Olympics and then to win the Olympics, nothing would have ever been enough and not making the Olympics. Honestly, was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because I know if I would have continued for another quad four years to try to make it, even if I had won the Olympics, I would not have been happy. And that's been something that I've been learning over the past couple of years. Cause then I transitioned into CrossFit of having no competitions is that I feel I, I could care. I love training every day. I love doing that stuff. And if I want to compete and go back, I'm like, I could do it if I feel like I want to and I'm passionate about it, but I have no tie to my self-worth at all, which was not the case in snowboarding and was not the case when I kind of used that new sport as that void to the whole uh to that whole so how what what can you say to people who are they have tied their self-worth to a certain goal or a certain result and they're not happy until they get there. How can you let them know that you still will have this fire and this passion, this motivation um even by not tying your worth because I think a lot of people they use that as fire like I am not enough until I make it and that's what they use to temporarily push them there. Yeah but it often leads to burnout in the case of my own story.
1: Yeah yeah Like, and the thing is, like, I'm sure you can relate is if you are tying yourself with that to to that goal and then you get there, it's still not going to be enough. Cause you're like, okay, cool. Well now I need to get a higher score. I need to go faster. And that's the beautiful, like bittersweetness about sport, right? Because it's about excellence. It's about perfection. It's about highest human potential, which is amazing, but it's also a downfall because there's at a point where there's always going to be someone better. There's always, whether it be right now or whether it be in the future, people are always breaking those records and moving forward. And it's never going to be enough if you place your worth on that. And I just want people to remember this, like come back to your finding your worth in your everyday, finding your worth in yourself, in your soul, in your spirit, in the effort that you're putting in every single day. whether this is like, if you have the opportunity to work with a sports psychologist or even starting to like journal and write things down and, and really find your worth within not outside of you, because I've even heard, you know, I had the privilege of working with so many incredible coaches. And one of the coaches had uh, was the uh, coach of the Spanish team in 2012, who won a silver medal. And one of the things she said that really stuck with me is like her team went up there. They had the silver medal, which is incredible. Um, and she saw them all waving and crying and everything. And she said, she's like, I felt empty because it wasn't about that because it, yeah, that's awesome to get that thing. But she's like, I didn't do the sport for the medal. I did the sport for the love. I coached for the, for the lessons, for the growth, for the learning. And, and, and I think this is so representat- representative of life as well, because, you know, whether you're an athlete or not, we can do this thing where we go, okay, well, when I get the job, I'm going to be happy when I get the more, when I get the car, when I get the clothes, and I get the boyfriend, when I get the amount in savings, when I have the vacation, then I'm going to be happy. <laughs> you will be searching your entire life if the you moving put your, yeah. If you put your happiness on something outside of you, it's like how can I find joy in today, right now? The sport that I'm doing, the exercise that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing. How can I find more peace within myself and wholeness within myself? Because we can sometimes in this masculine culture have this attitude is like almost feeling like we're making a resume of accomplishments to just take with us to the grave. But it doesn't matter when we're looking back on our life. It's about the the amount that we felt, the amount that we lived, the amount that we were present, the amount of the, how we made people feel, how we inspired others, the legacy that we left, not the ticks on the bucket list or the medals or the accomplishment. Those are amazing, yes, but that doesn't make up who we are in the experience of this life. So I think that that reminder within and outside of sport is so important.
0: Mm, so good. So good. I want to continue on this topic, but I want to take a step back because you were telling me about how much training goes into synchronized swimming. And I just feel like synchronized swimming does not get the flowers. It should, when it comes to how athletic you have to be. And like, I know, I don't know much, much about synchronized swimming coming from an action sport background, um, and then different sports hockey, so on. So, and, and I think here in Canada, especially where I live, it's not super popular. So please walk me through like what training like for a synchronized swimmer and like how athletic because I think there's so many things going on like breath holds um just body awareness general athleticism strength like thinking through a routine which I think I would probably forget in five seconds so Yeah. yeah walk me through that
1: Thank you for that as well. Like I think our sport has been working really hard for many years to receive the credit that it deserves and it's still slowly getting there, but it, I honestly, and I'm obviously biased, right. <laughs> but I honestly believe it's one of the hardest sports on the planet just because of the combination of all of the things and then the hours that we put in. So, you know, I like to explain it, um, if you were to do a 400 meter sprint, but you have to hold your breath for half the time, um, and be in sync with other people while doing it half upside down. Out, right like it's crazy like not only do we have the obviously difficulty of the routine but I think the thing that sets us so apart obviously different aquatic sports have similar things but not quite to the level of synchronized swimming is like we have to do half of our um sport holding our breath and if you're an athlete if you've even worked out you know that when you're puffed all you want to do is like pants like <gasps> yes. Because you're exhausted, right? And the last thing in the world you want to do is hold your breath. You're trying to get as much oxygen into that body as you possibly can. So, you know, that's a beautiful thing about synchronizing because it is so mental. It is such a mental challenge because your body can last so much longer than you, your mind thinks that you can without oxygen. But you're constantly pushing that barrier. And with us, it's like your body's telling you you're going to die, right? Because you're like, I'm not breathing, I'm going to die. That's what like comes through your head. But you have to, push that barrier. And um, you know, one of the things that we do is like I said, we train about six hours a day. Most national teams train about six hours at least a day in the pool. Like uh, a Russian team who's like at the top of the world, they they do eight. <laughs> they probably I mean, sleep in, in the yeah, pool. Yeah. You know, Russia's Russian and Chinese are just a different breed, right? Yeah. But, um and uh we also have like land training. So like what our training looks like is we have to stretch. So we have to be flexible kind of like ballerinas, but we also have to be strong like lean strong, not necessarily. We don't like lift a lot of weights, but we have to like lift our own body weight. Um, and then we have to memorize our routine. So within the routine, there's hundreds of different moves. And not only do you need to know the moves upside down and right side up, but you also move throughout the pa- like in different patterns. So we would go through maybe 60 to 70 to 80 different patterns throughout the routine. So you're constantly <laughs> moving within the pool and, um, within the routine. Um, and then when we get in the water, we usually do like a swim workout. So, you know, what swimmers do, I mean, they're great. They're amazing. But like what they do as their sport, we do as our warm up. Um, and then we have to like have pr- practice where we like you said, like we have to understand our spatial awareness. I don't know if you've ever tried to be upside down underwater, but the crazy thing is like it when you're upside down underwater, gravity is different. Right. So mm-hmm. you actually don't know what is vertical um, upside down when you first start synchronized swimming. So part of it is having the spatial awareness to understand what is straight upside down and then using sculling to propel yourself up. Um, so you get your legs out of the water. You know, the goal is to get your bum out in single and double legs, which is really challenging. And also that you need to have your feet pointed. You need to have your knees straight, need to be super flexible. And then you do that to the music, um, and you're Also, in all of that, we do highlights, right? So, you know, I, I I really one of my big passions in this life is, you know, to share the magic of our sport because it's totally undervalued and it's honestly amazing. Like, I truly think that we defy physics in many ways. If you ever see, if you just go look up highlights of synchronized swimming on YouTube, like we are throwing human beings about two to three meters in the air by not touching the bottom of the pool, and they're doing flips. And this is in the middle of their when your heartbeat is 180 beats per minute. And then you got to go under and hold your breath for another 30 seconds while you're exhausted doing a figure. So like it is next level, our sport.
0: Yeah. My, my mind is blown about all the work you guys have to do. And so I'm excited to like have this new take on it when I go and watch, you know, the summer Olympics, hopefully yeah. going forward, uh, the summer in Tokyo, because
1: And one of the things as well is I call it synchronized swimming, cause I grew up and, but it, the name has okay. officially changed to artistic swimming. Ah. Um, uh, so if you're looking for it in the Olympics, it will be called artistic swimming.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch now. Like even people would say, like, I would tell them, oh yes, no warning. We'd be out there for like eight hours a day. And then we go to the gym and they'd be like, oh, that's a lot. I was like, well, half the time we're sitting on the chair list. Yeah. So <laughs> realistically, it's not that, you know, as crazy as being in the pool and anyone who has done any sort of swim workout, especially if they don't come from a swim background, like it is no joke. I used to do, well, I, I do a lot of swim training before the pools all kind of closed down with the lockdowns, but um, just for, for CrossFit. Cause you never know when a swim event could come up. I've been in a competition where it did come up oh, wow. and, uh, but like after half an hour, like you're just so hungry for one mm-hmm. and like just the calories burn the energy expenditure. Like I feel exhausted, tired. Like I used to try to do it on my recovery day and it was like, it was not active recovery. Like it was like, yeah. a, like you're so exhausted afterwards. because It's
1: such a full body workout. Like you can't not work something. Yes. Um, whereas like in others, in some sports and, and, and I'm such an advocate of all sports. Like I I don't mean to take 10 because every sport is incredible, but like the cool thing about when you're in the water is like, you need to be working every part of your body or else you sink. Right. So it's like different than you know, if you stop running you're gonna be fine like you know yeah. stuff
0: like that And <laughs> like treading water people always think oh yeah that's easy and then they go to do just a few minutes of treading water and they realize like that's not as easy as you think when you just first look yeah. at yeah
1: and like even in, in our sport right like so when like we train we'll do about three hour sets of training in the water like we're not allowed to touch the wall so we're we're treading water for okay. most <laughs> of those three hours in our rest like our treading water is our rest when we're not and we'll usually be at our chin level but like when we're actually Competing, we have to be like about shoulders to you know boobs out of the water. So you know, even in the in between, there's not really a rest.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah, that's absolutely insane. Like I would need to eat like. Six thousand.
1: I I ate so much when I was an athlete. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) That's that's the best part for sure. It's It was great. It's like extra hours of training perfect. I'm going (laughs) to go and eat whatever I want. It was
1: incredible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. So before we get into like manifestation, I know you talked about your concussion and I Mm want to just touch on that because I know that there's still a stigma. I think it's being broken over the past decade. Um, but about concussions and I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you had to drop out of university. And if you did experience any stigma with that, where people were wondering, it's like an invisible injury. And so I could only imagine people wondering, why are you dropping out of university? You don't have like a broken arm. You can still write. Right. But I, yeah. you know, snowboarding, I've experienced a lot of concussions mm. and, uh, and I realized there was a big stigma. I remember pushing through and trying to do exams and it took a big mental toll. Like it, things are a lot harder after a concussion.
1: Yeah. And I think as well, like even in, I know like the world of ice hockey, it's like, oh, cool. They're fine. They just have a concussion. You're like that it's not, it's not cool. Like that's still like, it's your brain. And the thing that I like, I I don't struggle with um, a mental illness. However, like I relate concussions to having like mental illness problems. like when you're in the the phase of that concussion, because you look fine, just like you said, like you don't have a broken arm. You probably, you don't have any cuts or bruises usually, but it's all in your head. And the thing that's, hard about concussions too is, which I'm sure many people do is like, you can lie. You feel like I'm fine. Like I can go back to sport. I can drive. I can do this. No one would ever know. But you, at the end of the day, you can feel exhausted. You can get really bad headaches. You can just like not even want to function. And it's, I, you know, I think it's so important for us all to just really, um, take a lot more kind of like more respect when people have concussions. Cause there's, there's, you can't get any scans like there, you can't get a cat scan. You can't get anything. It's all of concussions is based off of symptoms, you know, yeah. based on, they're like, Oh, okay, cool. These are your symptoms. Well, you have a concussion and there's not really any way of recovering. Like you can't get a cast. You can't have a surgery. Like it's just, you know, rest and lay in a dark room, which can be for an athlete. That's like the most challenging thing ever. So you know, I always in a dark advise- room,
0: but don't sleep, and it's like know, what,
1: <laughs> right? Like, okay, well, that's actually when I got into meditation because it's like there's nothing else to do, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, it's so I think it's it's so important for us all to have a lot more awareness of it. Um, and, and just you know, if anyone has a concussion or has someone around them that has recently had a concussion, like take it seriously, you know, because um if you do not, especially in the first like month or so, um, you can really have extended symptoms. Like m- my sister, actually, she um fell in the middle of the night a couple of years ago. And she's similar to me. She was doing that. Oh, I'm all fine. It's all good. No problem. And she had concussion symptoms for two years before she got better because she didn't really rest in the first like week. And I was telling her, but she didn't believe me. So, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, stigma around it for you to just recover quickly as well. Cause they're like, Oh, you're fine. You're all Good. But like, really be kind to yourself if you ever have a concussion or you have someone in your life that has a concussion and take it seriously. And I'm really hoping that the research and studies in in the coming years are going to be able to help people with concussions more because there's just not enough knowledge around it all. Like, our brain is so complex. Like, we don't want to screw with that. Like, we only get one brain. Um, So, yeah, it's just really important.
0: Yeah, it's so, so important. And I'm glad that like conversations are being pushed forward. I was recently speaking on a panel about concussion experiences and there was was uh, kind of a concussion expert. And most of us were saying the same thing as you, we were told to go in a dark room, do nothing, but also don't sleep. And like, yeah. it was just so conflicting. And apparently the latest research actually shows that we shouldn't have been doing that. Um, oh, really? but there's like, yeah, there's like some light movement that you should be doing, there's it's not just like go into a dark room but it's so crazy how these things change right like at one point everyone's like ice everything and then don't ice yeah. and these things flip-flop and it was like 100 percent that's what everyone in the industry said you should do and then yeah. you know 10 5-10 ten
1: years later it's completely changed so it's and everyone's so different too that's the thing like this they have no way of measuring it either so they used yeah. to say grand concussions and like small concussions but now they just don't know and, and and so like even your concussion experience you can't compare it to someone else's which I it's like, yeah. oh, well, this person just was for a week and they're fine. It's like, no, oh, you re- it really de- you have to develop a lot of self-awareness to, to be able to work through that. And um, it's it's awesome that there's more research coming out, but I still think that there needs to be so much more done in that field.
0: So much more. And I think that goes to any athlete listening, like any injury, don't compare your recovery to someone else's because you just don't know. Like even the different foods that you're eating can impact different things, or someone says you need to eat these anti-inflammatory foods to improve your recovery. Maybe your body isn't metabolizing them the same way. So your recovery is going slower. Like you can't compare those things. Otherwise it's just not a good mindset to be in when you're already dealing with this injury. Um, so really appreciate you sharing that. Now I want to dive into manifestation. Um, I, I think people still, they put this woo woo kind of term around manifestation. So can you break that stigma and break down like what manifestation is?
1: a great question. It's like a really simple question, but I feel like it's a complicated answer, but <laughs> at the like core, you know, so I, I, I talk about the difference between, cause as an athlete, we're always goal setting, right. And I was yeah. goal set. I goal setted my whole life. And the difference between goal setting versus manifesting, which I say goal setting is what do I need to do to get there? Manifesting is who do I need to be to receive this into in my life? Um, because the, I believe kind of the, I, the world is changing so much and, and people are kind of understanding this a lot more. But at the our very core, like if you were to take a little piece of our skin and put it under a super microscope, we are all made of like about, I think it's about seven trillion um cells. And at their very core, they are vibrating. Now everything is moving, right? Everything in this world is a vibration, which It sounds crazy when we think about it, but nothing is fully solid. Everything is energy. Like, and one of the things that Albert Einstein said is actually everything is energy. That is all there is to it. Match yourself with the frequency of the energy that you want in your life and you cannot help but receive it. Mm -hmm. So... One of the powerful things that I love about, you know, understanding manifestation is not just, okay, I need to do these things. Cause you know, the old way is like, tick, 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 tick. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to get that. It's like, no, what energy and frequency do I need to be? If you've ever heard of Dr. David Hawkins, he's written a, a lot of books. He was a psychologist for 30 years and he's created the map of consciousness. The map of consciousness is actually, he found the vibrational frequency of emotions. So, um, the lowest emotional vibrational frequency is shame. The highest is enlightenment. And even we think of like, we relate this to athletes. If we're beating ourselves up all the time, you know, if we're being really negative in our our mental talk, you're going to be really low on that vibrational frequency. And even in our life, like what happens when we're in shame and then we're in guilt, bad things just keep happening, right? You'll get all the red lights, signals will go wrong. You'll spill something. You're just in this really, um, you know, uh, contracting energy field when we start to move up. And the thing that I love about his map of consciousness as well is the difference between the contraction energy. Energies and the expansion energies is actually when we when we go into courage. Courage is actually the difference between con, uh, contraction and expansion. And, and as athletes as well, you need to have courage, right? It's all about like leaning into fear. So once we have courage in our life, we move into this expansion energy. So if, the, if you're an athlete and wanting to bring forward a goal, or if you're a person and wanting to bring forward something in your life, I'd like, I always encourage people to ask themselves, what energy level do you need to be to receive that, like this is where we, you know, an athlete might might consciously want to achieve a goal. Like, I want to get to this this level, and so I just need to train this many hours. But it's like, what's going on in your mind? Because your mind also has an energy frequency that goes out into the world, right? We have a conscious and a subconscious mind. Our subconscious mind runs ninety five percent of our life. Our subconscious mind is made of our beliefs, um, our values. A lot of what has happened in the first zero to seven years of our life, you know, this has a lot to do with our mental talk, like are you an athlete or a person that's constantly beating yourself up uh, and you're not being kind to yourself, but you're wanting to achieve something that's like awesome. And so possible, but if you're in that energy frequency of 95% of the time, you're beating yourself up. And if our energy vibration goes out into the world and we attract like vibration into our frequency, you're going to be attracting experiences that are going to prove to you your truth, which so many of us have these limiting beliefs inside of us, which is I'm not enough. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. So that's why, you know, whether it's in sport or whether it's in life, I'm such a big um, like cheerleader of working on our mind, working on our belief systems, working on our self-worth. You know, one of the things that like I do is journaling, doing meditation. Like, there's, there's even really simple things like EFT, like tapping that you can do to start to work through your belief systems that are holding you back. And it's really incredible when you start to do that work because you start to be in the energy frequency and manifest what you want. So, you know, when I'm talking about like, if you're asking about what is manifestation, it's just coming from the energy perspective of goal setting and asking yourself, who you need to be vibrationally to attract your goals instead of just the things that you need to do. Yes, you still need to do things, but it's looking at both levels of it all.
0: Yes, uh, thank you for that explanation. I love that it actually kind of ties back to what we talked about with kind of the worthiness aspect. Um, people, they they think they won't be happy until they achieve X goal. What if you become that person now? And then see how that you know things play out, regardless of if you believe in manifeta- manifestation or vibration, all, all these things. If you don't believe in it, it's just a better. It just there's no downside. Doesn't yeah, it's like, like why not? <laughs> why not?
1: Ta- like why not be kind to yourself? You know? like
0: Yeah. Like what? Well, it just sounds like a better way to move through life. And recently, I heard someone kind of talk about manif- manifestation, and they were saying it's not like oh, I just wish that I win the lottery and suddenly you win the lottery. They're like, that sounds like those people who win the lottery and then they lose it because they never, they're not the person who you can, you can have these opportunities come to you But if you're not that person who can sustain them or continue, then you're not going to take full advantage of them. And you're not going to have the lasting success that you want, because chances are anyone who has goals, they don't want to like reach this goal and then completely lose it and fall off. Like they want to have building blocks and keep improving over their lifetime. So, um, even just learning about like things like the concept of Dharma and these things that are kind of in ancient wisdom from all different cultures, it really ties back that it's like, you got to be first. And a lot of people think you have to have to be. And I think, you know, that's what's happened in the world. It's a lot of materialism and different things, but it's really the opposite way around.
1: Totally. You need to be, to bring forward. And like, yeah, like you said with the, I think so many people tie together, like I'm going to manifest a lottery win. It's like, okay, cool. Like Yeah, maybe (laughs) that's a possibility, but you probably aren't going to hold it because if you, if you bring something forward, that is that high, incredible goal, but if you don't feel worthy of it, you're going to sabotage yourself because you're going to think, you know, this is what happens to a lot of people that when the, when the lottery, that they are not worthy of it. They don't know how to hold that amount of money. They don't know how to handle that amount of money. Even if this is like a goal or a job or like, you know, uh, funds that you have received in any way, like if you don't feel worthy of it, you will sabotage your yourself like spend the money throw it away lose it not how to manage it or this it doesn't even have to do with money but just goals in general so that's why it's like the being the working on like the inner work the self-love the self-belief the self-worthiness the enoughness that is what really sets us apart and and I I really am such a champion of like wanting to see the future of athletes because I I I love sport and I think it's so important and in this world where we're not I mean except for COVID, obviously this is a huge adversity, but we're not being faced with the big adversities that we used to. Like we think of 150 years ago, people were faced with famine, with wars. Like, you know, we don't have those big challenges anymore, but we need adversity in our life to help us grow. And we need challenges in our life to help us grow. And being an athlete is like bringing those challenges into your life because you're wanting to continue to grow and improve. So I think it's so important in a space where we're not, our physical safety and well-being isn't being like, you know, challenged, going into sport in this modern world is so important for us to still face challenges to help us grow. And I really hope to see a future of like more mindful athletes who are bringing in more of these Eastern practices. Like even like, you know, there's no coincidence why I believe China does so well in in sports in general, because they believe in chi, like chi is vital energy force which is part of their Chinese medicine practice and you know i and i um met a Qigong which is like a it's like tai chi if you've ever heard of that but a qigong yeah. um a teacher who was working with the Chinese athletes teaching them how to use their energy force how to use their chi in their sports like yes they' they train crazy hours and they just have a different <laughs> attitude but they also like learn these different practices which help them be really really good in their sport and and you're, we're starting to see that. Like, I know that there's in Australia, there's um, a football team where the coach brings in like mindfulness practices and meditation, you know, like even visualization as an athlete is so incredibly powerful. So like, I'm really hoping to see like the sporting world, um, shift into having at least like the Western culture to be shifting into more of that, because I think it's going to be, um, you know, we're getting to this place where, you know, human potential has really, is doing really well. And we're really um, closing the gap. But I think what's going to help us take this next leap is understanding the universal perspective, the energy perspective, the like mindfulness, the mental perspective to, to take the next leap in our own human potential.
0: Mm, I, I love it. And I, I want to go back to kind of something that uh, I said before about anyone who thinks like it's woo woo or, or whatever like that, like for anyone who's listening, who still thinks that that that's fine for one, but yeah, you get to believe whatever you want to yeah, Exactly. <laughs> but I think like, it's just, it's just a, like, if you believe these things, there's no downside. And, but there is a downside to always being anxious, always being stressed to never doing these other things. And if you break it down scientifically, even the time doing things like you said with the chi and the energy force, like scientifically likely they're in a parasympathetic state they're relaxing and we know that being getting yourself into that de-stress state that parasympathetic nervous system that's the best way to recover more than even perhaps an ice bath or whatever it is or buying those two thousand dollar machines like meditate do these things that can really help you physically and mentally recover as an athlete and be able to train more so aside from
1: visualization as well like the science behind that like you know we can visualize yeah our goals and things we're wanting to bring forward. But like, even as an athlete, like your mind does not know the difference between you visualize something and you doing it when you visualize really well. And I love this story that I, I think that your listeners would really like. So my sports psych, who is, like I said, incredible, he was working with a hundred meter sprinter um, on visualization and um, visualizing his race. And, you know, that's really short. It's about like 45 seconds or something like that. And he got to the point And I mean, if you've ever visualized or meditated before, sometimes it can be a bit time warpy because you don't know how long it's been like, maybe you first start meditating. It feels like five hours and you've been there for a minute or the opposite. If you get really good at it, but he was, he would visualize his race almost to the second or millisecond that he would actually do it. He was incredible at it. And he had this one day where he was having an off day and he was doing this visualization practice with a sports like Brian. And, um, he didn't have a good, he didn't have a good go. And he was just like, Oh, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. Um, And the thing about visualization, especially, you know, for athletes is you always want to visualize your competition setting. Um, I I mean, you can visualize your skills if you're wanting to practice, but you know, to really benefit to visualize your competition setting. And if you think about it, like you would never as a hurdler or, you know, a snowboarder, you would never do back to back competition. You would never like do a hundred meter sprint and then have two minutes and then do it again. Right. That's just, you know, just don't do that in sport. Right. Like you usually recover in between. And he convinced Brian, he was like, I just want to do it one more time. Just let me do. It one more time. Uh, and so Brian was like, okay, this is sports. psych And he, he closed his eyes. He visualized, he did it to the second. And then he got up and he ran to the trash can and started vomiting because mm-hmm. his body thought that he was doing 200 meter sprints back to back, which would lead you to absolute physical exertion that he physically had a reaction of vomiting in this bin because he was so good at visualizing his body thought that he actually did that. And I think that's such an important, like, I just, that story always blows my mind because it's such a powerful reminder that like, even if it, like if you're concussed or even if you're recovering, you can visualize your skills, techniques, you know, game, sport, whatever it is to help your body practice, um, you know, what you're wanting to do without having to physically exert yourself when you get really, really good at it. And, and I think that's such a, I think that's part of, of sport is going to grow so much more. There's already a lot behind it research, but I think it's going to get even more and more, um, big in the field because I think it's- so important for all of us, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that too, because I've I've read some studies as well where it actually is still firing some of those neurons and everything. So it makes sense. Like I haven't heard a story that extreme. That's absolutely crazy that he went and like threw up, but like really cool. I'm definitely going to go look that up after. Um, but yeah, I definitely heard of like your neurons are firing and it can be fatiguing for sure. Um, Mm. because we also shouldn't forget, I think as athletes that like our training is also mentally fatiguing. Um, and like everything that we have going on in other parts of our day that we do, whether it's visualization, which is helping our performance, but also mental stress from work and whatever it is that all like adds up into stress, like stress is stress, whether it's physical or mental. So it is important to like, realize like, probably you want to program some of this stuff in at specific times. And the same way you would program your physical training, because it's not like you can just keep loading things on into your schedule and just stress yourself out with adding So many different training modalities. Mm, Totally. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So I want to quickly touch on limiting beliefs um, because you mentioned it earlier. So what are some common limiting beliefs that you see and how are some like quick ways that we can break some of those things down, whether it's fear, confidence, some of these like popular ones.
1: Yeah. So one of the, I talk about this in my book, but I believe like the three main limiting beliefs is like, I'm not enough. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. Right. Um, and this is within all of us, like, and there's, I would say there's probably not a human being on this planet that doesn't have these limiting beliefs, but there's beauty in it because, you know, the, the feeling of me not being enough as an athlete, when I was younger fueled me to like have this sense of proving to myself that I could be enough. So it also gives Gives us drive. Like it's to understand the, the polarity of limiting beliefs. Like they have a purpose to help us improve, but we just don't want them running our lives. So, you know, I would really encourage if anyone's wanting to do some work on our lim- your limiting beliefs is to write down, like, what are some of the thoughts that go through your head when you're training, when you're in life, it's probably beating yourself up. It probably comes down to one core of I'm not enough in some way, shape or form. Um, and even starting to see like where those come from, you know, looking back at like the root of the cause. Like maybe you grew up in an environment where your mother or father just beaded themselves up, like in the way that they spoke about themselves. They didn't need to, they didn't need to pass it on to you, but that's what you experienced growing up. Maybe you had, you know, we all have, and, and like, I love coaches, but sometimes there's like coaches that go a bit off the rails and they can be a bit abusive. Maybe that was ingrained into your belief system, you know? So starting to figure out Um, where they come from is really powerful. And then writing down as well, how that benefited you. That's something that I really encourage my clients to do. So just to not be in the victim mindset of like, this happened to me. It's like, how did this benefit you? How did it happen for you? Which is super powerful. And then even doing journaling prompts around affirmations, doing meditations, um, even like looking up tapping or EFT, like as an athlete, it's super powerful. It's really easy. You can literally Google it, go on YouTube, just like... um, tapping for, you know, um, limiting beliefs, um, which is just like a different tapping modality, which helps calm down the parasympathetic nervous system to help you get into more relaxed state to help start to clear some limiting beliefs. And this can be really, really powerful as well in your sport, because the more that you believe in yourself, the the better that you're going to do. Like, you know, um, we like have all been there as an athlete where you, you like sabotage something, you screw something up because you second guess, like when you're going into a skill and move competition, game, whatever it is you like are in the moment and then something comes up and you doubt yourself you have lack of confidence and you're like oh you screw up you mess up and maybe you lose the point you lose the match the game whatever um and so doing that internal work on those belief systems is going to be super powerful I believe like it was powerful for my own performance in sport but also in life um and and super powerful as well for I believe our overall outcomes because the more that we believe in ourselves and trust and then detach the outcome from our worthiness like the better we're going to do within our sport and in our life.
0: Yes. That's awesome. Thank you for breaking, breaking those down. I have um, two questions that I always like to start off with. So the first is of all the daily habits that you have, what is the one biggest game changer for you?
1: Um, my morning routine. Um, like I have a, it's different every day. Um, but usually it involves some type of meditation journaling and visualizing my goals. Basically that's the, and I've been doing that for years <laughs> now at this point, like leading up to the Olympics and beyond. Um, and it's a game changer. It, that was one of those things. It's like, we can learn from the people that have walked before us. Like you hear anyone that talks about being successful. I mean, holistically, it's like, everyone talks about a morning routine, not being on our phone, doing something to create our day. Like it's not a coincidence, guys. <laughs> Like, even yeah. if you're not a morning person, starting your day without checking your phone, without checking TikTok or social media, like it's a challenge, but then being in a state of creating your life instead of it allowing to happen to you. So I, on every one of my clients, everyone that I work with, every, everyone, and like having a morning routine is powerful. Whether it be five minutes, whether it be two hours, whatever you can, just starting your day on your foot.
0: Yes, I think that's so important. So thank you for sharing that. And then the next one is, let's visualize you're on the end of your, your life and you're looking back, um, what would be the impact that you wanted to create over your lifetime?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Thank you, Natalie. Um, I want to, the impact that I want to create is to empower people to really believe in themselves, to realize how worthy they are, divinely worthy. It just, in general, and worthy to go after their dreams and just be fulfilled. I want people to feel like they are enough, they are valued, they matter in this world. If they choose to go out to the Olympics, or they choose to be a mom, they matter, and to be in the field that they want to be. So, overall, my impact would be just uh, making people feel worthy, making and believing in themselves, and to be kind of a cheerleader for all. I would love that to be my impact on this planet. Awesome.
0: And so (laughs) what are you up to next and where can people find you if they want to buy your book or your courses or Ah. anything?
1: Awesome. So my book is on Amazon uh, and on Kindle. So you can download it. It's called The Unlikely Olympian. Um, and you guys can check me out on TikTok, which is Unlikely Olympian or on Instagram, which is Danielle Kettlewell underscore. Um, I do one-on-one coaching now and I run programs um, to help. Um, I work mainly with women um, and to help them work on their worthiness uh, and that self-belief and those limiting beliefs, but also work on their dreams and the mindset to go after that. So I have a program called. in a program called the Clarity Code, which we help um, facilitate that for all of you because I think we all all deserve access to all these like mindset and mindfulness tools because it's just a way to amplify all of our lives. So I love using what I have done with my life to share with other people. And thank you as well for what you do, Natalie. I think it's so beautiful to have a space for you to like empower other athletes and people. Um, It's so needed. And I just really want to honor you because I think so often... Podcasters that that interview you guys don't get enough credit. So it's it's the impact that you're making in the world for athletes and everyone is incredible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do.
0: Ah, oh, thank you. I I really appreciate that. It's always fun diving into people's story, and I really appreciated you coming on, sharing your story. Definitely learned a ton about synchronized swimming. So hopefully <laughs> anyone who listened also has a newfound appreciation for the sport, um, mm-hmm. as well as hopefully changing some mindsets about the concepts of manifestation and learning more about limiting beliefs. So, thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing it on here. You're, welcome. You're so welcome. Have a beautiful day.